and none of our bears are astronauts so wrong message totally wrong message Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bears and Brews podcast. I am Pam, and I am joined, as usual, by Salome. Hi, everybody. I can't believe we're already on episode two. What are we talking about today? Oh, well, we are going to talk about a lot of stuff today. Uh, But the first thing I need to talk about is I made a colossal fuck-up last week. (gasps) And I want to... (laughs) Yeah, I want to call myself (laughs) out on it because... You know, I call myself a wildlife expert and I said something really stupid. So I just want to make sure and set uh, set the record straight about some polar bear info. Did you get angry letters from polar bears or were people just like messaging the account on Instagram like angrily? I don't know that we have enough listeners that would uh, message us <laughs> angrily yet. So did you catch it yourself? No one like <laughs> I caught it. Hey, and I was we like, might make mistakes, but we fix our mistakes ourselves before other people notice, hopefully. Yeah, that's the important thing. Um, I have a feeling a couple people that listen probably noticed, but maybe just didn't say anything because they're nice. I did. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, I have no idea what the mistake is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know if if we do fuck up uh you're you guys are welcome to call us out on it you know i'm nicely. all about don't nicely don't yeah i don't really want to know if i make a mistake just tell just tell pam pam's really yeah cool just tell me things. and then i will yell at salome okay before i get into that though i want to tell you what i did this weekend because it was super badass uh hopefully you have something badass to tell me also <laughs> but We'll see. When we- so the wildlife rescue that I volunteer at, we went out and released 11 of the raccoons that we had from the summer. Aww. Yeah, they're baby big- raccoons, like little yeah. cutie baby raccoon kits. If you have not seen what a raccoon kit looks like, please Google it. They're so adorable and so cute and they have little hands and they're just the sweetest little cutest little things okay yeah no and you actually came out and helped me bottle feed some of them um earlier in the summer when they were only about two weeks old and and you did which was amazing you you did tear up (laughs) as we were doing it i actually i actually fully cried (laughs) like it was like i had tears running down my cheeks as i think i just looked at you and mouthed like this is amazing look how cute they are I destroyed my knees going 700 feet down a fucking oh my gosh. and carrying, we traded off carrying two raccoons. So half the time I was carrying two, mm-hmm. the other half I was carrying one and they are not tiny anymore. They're heavy and chonky. Jeez. Not just chonky, but spicy. They were not fans of us anymore, which we want, <laughs> right? We don't want them to be habituated to humans. Mm-hmm. So it was good that they were really spicy. We had to use falconer gloves to transport them and move them around. Um, I'm really sore from like my neck is sore. My shoulders are sore from carrying a bunch of shit. My legs are sore. My knees are sore. But, you know, seeing these little creatures that I helped keep alive earlier in the summer and 
visited every week. Uh, it was really cool. Oh, I'm so proud of you, dude. That's so awesome. Um, what did you What did you do? Did you do anything fun with raccoons? I, I did not, and I'm really bummed that I didn't. Um, but I did something equally as important. I organized my spice drawer in my kitchen. Okay, but you're moving in like yeah. three weeks. <laughs> I just, I'd been putting it off, and I got this is so boring. I was so excited. I actually took before and after pictures. That's when you know you're truly old is when just the simple act of organizing like a, a certain section of your house just brings you immense joy. That's the main point of our episode today is my spice story. Go ahead. Well, you still have the broken leg, so you got to just get those little wins with what you can and can't do. So I say, I say good. Thank you. Are you drinking anything tonight? Oh, fuck. I forgot. I'm not. I'm so boring. Yeah, if you guys had alcohol delivery there, I would just send something over real quick, but you don't because it's Utah. Wait, other places have alcohol delivery? Do you guys have alcohol delivery? I can get alcohol on DoorDash. In Idaho? Yeah. In, like, the most conservative part of Idaho? <laughs> yeah, we don't even have a bar in town because it's illegal to pour alcohol in the city limits. <laughs> so when you drink alcohol, do you, like, siphon it? So you're not technically pouring it? Do you just drink it straight from the container? No, I drink everything out of a straw. So I'm not pouring it. I'm sucking it. Oh. <laughs> that sounds much better. <laughs> Way to go, Idaho. So my fuck up last week was about polar bear evolution. This was such a big fuck up. I realized it when I was editing the episode, but I had we had no time to go back and fix it. So I just said, screw it. So... It's been bothering me for, what, seven days now? Oh, my God. Have you slept? So last last week I said that polar bears diverged from brown bears about 20,000 years ago. Um, that is insanely wrong. <laughs> was it 200 years ago? No, no it was 500,000 years ago. Okay, so you said, hang on. So you said 20,000, but it's actually 500,000. That's a slight difference. Just just a little. I have learned about evolution, but I, I don't have a, a good idea of how long ago things, certain things happened. So I was just like, oh, cool. A, a number of thousand years ago. Yes, that sounds legitimate. You're the expert. Yeah. And I you. think where I was getting that number mentally was that was the beginning. So about 20,000 years ago was the beginning of the end of the last glacial maximum, AKA ice age. So the last ice age started to decline about 20,000 years ago and officially ended about 11,000 years ago. So I think that's where I got that number mm -hmm. from, but polar bears have been around for quite a lot longer than that. So you know, that's just absolutely wrong. And I just want to make sure everybody knows it. <laughs> oh, okay. I forgot to say what I was drinking. I'm going to, uh, hang on, hang on. Is it a beer? <laughs> you dick. Yes, it is a beer. <laughs> um, it actually is the same brewery as last week. So I... I went camping for like four days in inside Yellowstone. I usually just go for the day, but I had a friend in town from Tennessee and we camped in the park for four days and I got this 12 pack of beer thinking I would bring it. I forgot to bring it. We didn't really drink much anyway, but it is a beer hug like last, uh, last episode. Did you almost say last season? I almost said last season. 
<laughs> Welcome to the second season of the Bears and Boobs podcast. <laughs> so this is called, this is also by Goose Island, just because I have the 12 pack sitting around. And this is called Neon Beer Hug. So it it is also an IPA. Wait, what was the one last? Why did I think it was Neon last? last it was time? Tropical. And it, it was Tropical right. Beer Hug and it was an IPA. So this is almost the exact same thing. It's just Neon Beer Hug IPA. Do you taste the neon? I feel like I, I'm i in like a skating rink in the 80s. What is our bear fact of the day? The bear fact of today is about polar bears uh, because I just figured I was fixing my mistake from last week anyway. But today's bear fact is that polar bear's fur is actually clear. It's not white. It only looks like it's white because of the light reflection. So when we see something, not to get super nerdy, but when we see something as a certain color, like let's say grass is green, the fact of the matter is- <laughs> Nerd. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is <laughs> grass is everything but green. So it's absorbing all of the colors except green and that reflects back. So we see it as green. So the reason why we see white with polar bear fur is because white is actually all the colors together. So since that, um, since that clear hair is not absorbing all of the colors, the visible color spectrum, it's bouncing back the entire thing, which is white. But yeah, so polar bear fur is not white. It is clear. That was super nerdy. Very, very nerdy. Today we are talking about grizzly bears. I'm very excited to learn about grizzly bears. Um, originally we were going to do a brown bear episode and combine, combine them both, but I decided at the very last second, aka 1am last night, that they are quite different and each of them deserves their own episode. So we're actually going to cover brown bears in a few weeks when we do our fat bear week episode. The One of the reasons I think they need their own episode is because, yeah, they are a subspecies of brown bears, but they are very, very different in a lot of different ways. And some of those ways we'll talk about today. Some of them we'll talk about when we go over actual brown bears. So the grizzly bear is pretty specific to North America and it's it's basically more of an interior kind of smaller smaller in quotation marks brown bear but they are considered a subspecies so i wonder um like in my my impression i guess you know growing up and stuff was like when you think grizzlies you think like these big brown bears and like that's like the scariest bear. Maybe, I don't know, maybe our listeners can let me know if they, if they have that impression too, or I kind of, I'm just curious where that like, um, portrayal came from, if that makes sense, considering that they're smaller. I just find that interesting. When I think of like the huge bears in movies that are standing on their back legs and roaring, which is such a misrepresentation, they don't, they don't do that. At the same time, for those reasons, um, they stand up on their hind legs to figure out what's going on. They're not doing it in any aggressive way. Um, like a little like meerkat or like. Yeah, like a prairie gopher. dog. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, but that's what I'm thinking of. I don't know if any of those things are related to each other. That's yeah. That's the picture I have. It's just kind of like with their little paws in front of their chest. Ex- like, yep, exactly. Around. And they're doing that uh-huh. to help identify the situation or they're not sure. So the whole standing on their back legs and roaring is just bullshit. Um, and, but I think that's where that portrayal came, you know, comes from is the movies, TV shows, so where I grew up in Alaska was the interior and that's where we've got those, you know, again, quote unquote, smaller brown bears, which are considered grizzlies. I actually didn't even see a coastal brown bear until I was an adult and I took a friend on a trip to Alaska. So I had only seen interior grizzlies until eight years ago. Oh, wow. Were you shocked at like the size difference or the difference in, you know, head shape or? That's a good question because I used to think it was really dumb to try and say they were a subspecies. And then when I saw those coastal bears in real life, I realized just how different they are. So we're going to kind of highlight a couple of those differences here in a little bit, but being able to witness that in real life and see a lot of those differences to me it makes total sense to have them be a subspecies. There's still just a ton of debate about when exactly they became their own subspecies because there's not a lot of genetic differences between brown bears and what we know as the grizzly. So DNA analysis of fossils, stuff like that, it's not very reliable. One thing I was thinking of, where did the name grizzly come from? Oh, that's also a good question. It's because of their fur. So they're grizzly looking. (laughs) And coat color is one of the ways that they do vary. So grizzly bears and brown bears, they can be anywhere from like a blonde to almost like this deep, shiny black. But the majority of these brown bears are like this true deep brown, even though they can be all of the other things. With grizzlies, we see a lot more of the population that has that wider range of coat colors. So even though both types can be anywhere on the spectrum, we usually see those inland grizzlies, you know, more of them have that wider variety, mm-hmm. even though both can be, you know, anywhere on that spectrum from blonde to, to almost black. And so the the name grizzly comes from with with these inland grizzlies the tips of their fur are usually a little lighter so it almost looks like grizzled okay where that came from that is really cool so they just have like tips like frosted tips yes like frosted boy band yes (laughs) they are the joey fatone of bears Actually, he he was at a zoo brew last summer. He was at a zoo brew last summer that I went to. <laughs> what? Yeah, hanging out, signing autographs. No, it was like a thing. It was like Joey Fatone is here. He, oh, he's the one with like the chin, beard, chin thing. Yeah, the douche goatee. <laughs> but he also he has a face about him that he looks like a nice guy. I don't know if he is. He seemed really nice to everybody. Yeah, this is all very irrelevant. Uh, I don't even know how we got on. Oh, because Grizzled. Um, <laughs> so he was in sync, or he was Backstreet Boys? In sync. Okay. He was in sync. I remember that. If I remember one fact from this podcast, I hope that it will comfort you to know that that is the fact. 
Okay. Yeah. So the grizzly bears have that kind of grizzled fur, like the frosted tips, as, <laughs> as you said. And some people think it's a little insane, but I swear I can tell there. So there's a lot of ways to tell a black bear and a brown bear, grizzly bear apart. And I swear one of them is just like the texture of the fur when I see photos, because to me, they look very, very different, but I'm sure to most people they don't. But there's times when I see photos and it's like, oh no, that's clearly a black bear. Look at the way its fur is or whatever. Wait, a, clearly a black bear or a brown bear? E either based on their fur. Um, but there's a lot of people who think that the photo of their cinnamon colored black bear uh, is a grizzly bear and things like that. And so, Oh, right. Cause they can have a variation, but, but again, same thing with grizzly bears, you know, there's some that are super, super blonde. There's some that are almost black and anywhere in between. Uh, one thing that, um, grizzly bears and brown bears tend to have also is like a little stripe on their shoulder blade above their armpit. A lot of times they'll have that. It's really, really cute. And of course they have the big, huge hump on their back. And that hump is actually a cluster of muscles to help them dig. Tear things. Tear things. Yeah. Dig and tear thing. That's why a lot of people get a lot of people who have, you know, who get attacked by a bear, get like scalped. That's a very, very popular thing that happens because they're just grabbing the end of you and pulling and you just get scalped did you say did you say a popular thing that happens or a com it's a common thing or a popular thing i don't know but i meant common if i said popular <laughs> please please say popular i like that i just like the idea that people are like they have like a checklist of things like when you order a sandwich at a cafe and it's like i would like the scalping okay moving on again it's hard to really tell when they kind of broke off from brown bears. It was obviously a very um, like gradual change, just depending on where where they were living. But the really interesting thing is they have so humans and brown bears have a really really similar kind of history and timeline. And I will put a really cool, I'll put a link to a cool article in the show notes, uh, kind of about that because they, they came over from, they came over to North America about 20,000 years ago over the land bridge. And they kind of went downwards into North America about 13,000 years ago. And throughout history, you can see the way bears and humans, it's a very parallel geography and timeline and it's it's really really cool did they also start wars and like spread smallpox or is that just a human specific thing so i want to talk a little bit about the differences between grizzlies and brown bears so in in an organism we have a genotype and a phenotype so a genotype is what is their full genetic makeup whereas a phenotype refers to what genes are displayed Right. So you can have like a redheaded gene. You know, I could have a redheaded gene, but that's not what's being displayed. And in the in this case, we're talking more about, um, you know, their appearance, their development and their behavior. So what what makes them observably different? So first of all, is size. These these brown bears, you know, they can be about 300 to a thousand pounds and six to nine feet long or 
tall if they stand on their back legs. But grizzlies are usually about generally about 200 to 600. Some of them down around here, are seven, 800 or so, um, but generally about 200 to 600 for these inland grizzlies. And they're only about four to seven feet long slash tall. Oh, only, only seven feet tall. That's not terrifying at all. Well, I mean, that's kind of how they top out <laughs> around here. Okay. Yeah, and then the coat color, like we talked about before, the brown bears seem to be more of like this this truer, deep brown. Doesn't mean they can't be all the different colors, but that's generally what they're going to look like. Um, whereas with the grizzly bears, they they seem to have more, more of them seem to have that wider variation of coat. But it is important to note that both of them can be anywhere on that spectrum of colors. Another thing is their head shape. So I didn't really realize this until I went uh, on on this bear viewing tour um, about eight years ago. I didn't really realize the big difference in their head shape. So grizzlies have, brown bears and grizzly bears are often said to have like a dish shaped face, which to me, when I was a kid, I was like, well, I don't, what, what kind of dish? Like what? What kind of dish? Like a pie dish? Like a casserole dish? Basically, it means it's like concave. Like a satellite dish? Literally, that's oh. in my notes. Oh. Verbatim. Like a satellite dish. Lol. But anecdotally, I've actually noticed that coastal brown bears seem to have more of an elongated head and face. And possibly because they dive in the water and go fishing and things like that. Okay, so that makes sense that coastal, coastal bears, you know, more water, right? Yeah, and I don't know if there's any scientific backing to that, but they definitely mm -hmm. like fish and things like that way differently than an inland grizzly would. So like they'll actually dive and swim downward, uh, almost, almost like a polar bear, not to keep bringing up polar bears, but... Yeah. <laughs> Why are you trying to make polar bears happen? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then they also differ in like social dynamics, habitat and diets, but we'll get into that here in just a minute. So all grizzlies are brown bears, but not all brown bears are grizzlies. Okay. I just think about that for a second. Yeah. It's like a math problem. Okay, so they we talked last week, but they live, um, again, we're just going, going into North America this episode. So all over Alaska, um, Western Canada, wash, a little bit in Washington State, just a couple, small population, and then Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho. So the furthest, like, east they are would be, like, Montana? Yeah, and actually, um, they are showing up in places, you know, that they historically haven't been for quite a while, that, and they are moving more east. Oh. Let's talk about their habitat, right? Because a bear doesn't, they don't follow state or country boundaries, right? They don't know what the borders are. Damn bears coming into our state. Yeah, they don't know what those borders are. So habitat-wise, uh, grizzlies are actually 
really successful in a lot of different habitats, the biggest thing that they need is a lot of open space. And there's a couple organizations whose sole purpose is to obtain more connecting land for grizzlies so that they can roam more and, and branch out and have these kind of wildlife corridors where they can freely travel. That's great. And uh, I'll link to them in our show notes as well. But Vital Ground is one that is doing just amazing things as well as Yellowstone to Yukon. So they're, they're really trying to get a lot of preserved habitat from down here all the way up through Canada into Alaska so that they can use these corridors. And you also want the populations to be able to, um, be able to meet up with each other and mate. You don't want these isolated populations of grizzlies or any animal, really. We want them to be able to travel and have more genetic variation. So that's another reason for it, but they need to be able to move around. Their home ranges vary from 10 square miles to 300 square miles. Oh, geez. They love the tundra, um, high alpine forests and meadows, subalpine forests, coastal areas, wetlands, grasslands. They're very, they're very successful in a lot of different areas. They're very adaptable and they're very, very smart, but they can flourish damn near anywhere as long as there's food sources, shelter, and that space. So they, they actually used to range all the way down to Mexico before, you know, white European expansion. Which you're a huge fan of. And it's so shitty too, because they only inhabit 2% of their historical range. Are you kidding me? Two fucking percent. That's devastating. So in terms of those food sources that they need, um, they are opportunistic omnivores. So any kind of anything that's going to give them protein and fat, um, they really love certain types of grasses, Mm -hmm. sedge grass. They love yarrow root and other types of roots and like tubers, things like that. Um, they'll eat flowers, insects, berries, like we talked about last week, uh, grubs, wasps. They will actually eat wasps and their honey. So that isn't there and bee honey. So that isn't, <laughs> that isn't just a Winnie the Pooh thing. Delicious wasp honey. Yeah, no, I think we, I think I mentioned that cause I was like, oh, I just picture bears and like salmon and honey. And you're like, oh, they do actually eat honey. And I was like, oh, Okay. They also like to eat different kinds of like um, fungi and mushrooms, fish, of course, uh, mammals, like we talked about before, elk, moose, deer, marmots, stuff like that. Um, Ground squirrels, they love a good you and a ground squirrel. Um, And the moths that we talked about last week. And one of the huge things they eat is white bark pine nuts. And we'll kind of get to that in a little bit when we talk about threats to them because they are they rely very heavily on these white bark pine nuts. Another huge source of food, especially in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, are animals that wolves have killed. So they will actually go in and steal a kill from a wolf pack. Um, they can take it from, you know, it's been seen up to like 20 wolves and one grizzlies in there and 
and he takes over the kill. Um, and they are actually the largest predator of elk and moose calves. Mm-hmm. So they don't, they don't actively hunt a lot of larger game, uh, just because it's not worth the calorie expenditure, but they will go after elk and moose calves on a regular basis. Sometimes bison calves too. So they're usually solitary except during mating season or when you have a sow with cubs there's a couple examples of them congregating for food sources Uh, we talked before about the army cutware moths sometimes in the coastal areas maybe a whale washes up or you know with the fishing at brooks falls things like that they will be you know there'll be a big group of them but in general they don't really tolerate other bears presence very well um although around here there's a couple bears that have been documented to be almost socializing together and it's usually been like a sow and cubs and maybe one of her prior cubs oh yeah you sent me pictures of that that was so cute and didn't you see yeah there's a person i didn't see it in person no um but they did it again this summer Uh, those two sets. So we'll talk, yeah, and we'll talk more about those specific ones. We're going to do an episode on well-known bears and, you know, their impacts and, and is it good? Is it bad to have a bear that's really popular or name them or whatever? We're going to talk about all that, but yeah, that, that is a set that I sent you pictures of. And then earlier um, in early summer, I, I did not witness this happening, but I saw I saw both both of these sets. So there was a group of, or there there was a sub adult that had been on his own for a year, and he was spotted hanging out with a sow and her uh, spring cubs, also known as koi down here for, for cub of the year. So fresh little babies. And normally a sow will not let anybody near her cubs, let alone a boar. But this this sub-adult male boar was kind of playing with her cubs and was able to be around them. And they're pretty sure that was her cub she kicked out last year. And sub-adult, so like a teenage bear or like early college, like freshman? Yeah. So sub-adult in the bear world is after the bear gets kicked out by the mom, which for most bears is two and a half years. And it's before they can start successfully reproducing, which is usually around five to seven years old. So those are kind of known as the sub-adults. Like a gap year. Yeah, a gap year. And and one reason why one reason why she why a sow would normally not allow any of that with a boar is because boars will kill cubs. Now This boar that, you know, that we're talking about was only three and not, not really able to reap. I mean, he technically can, but, um, it's, he's just going to be awkward and silly and, you know, no one's going to want to get with him. (laughs) It sounds like a, sounds like a young adult man. So one of the biggest killers of cubs is boars. And they will kill cubs mostly so that they can mate with the sow because she will become fertile just 48 hours after losing her cubs. Jeez. Can I just say that's the most unromantic, just like 
dickish move. Flowers go a long way. Uh, some nice pine nuts with some honey, maybe. But yeah, that's and it. some moths for yeah. garnish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The interesting thing, though. Okay, so that basically the whole month of June is when they breed, and um, around that time, you will you will actually be able to see a lot more sows and cubs because the ones around this area are starting to figure out if they hang out closer to the roads, the big boars won't come around the roads. So oh. yeah. And, and, you know, one reason why we can kind of extrapolate that is because when those same exact sows don't have cubs because maybe they just kick them out, they don't hang out by the road solo. They're only doing it when they have cubs. And so it's thought that they've kind of figured out, well, the, the big males won't come around people. They won't come around these roads. So you'll see a lot of sows and cubs near roadways, which is why we slow the hell down. Look, I'm, I'm always the fast driver, but when I'm in an area can, where there's can, a lot uh, of wildlife. for that, <laughs> but except yeah. in the wildlife areas, yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's one, you know, that's one place that I'm not messing around because I mm -hmm. would never be able to live with myself if I hit and killed a bear or anything really, yeah. but especially a bear. Yeah, I uh especially the as I've gotten older, I'm just very conscious of um whenever we're driving driving kind of along like a mountain or hill, especially areas that are known to have a lot of wildlife. Yeah, I was actually just reading an article today about how vehicles are the biggest killers of wildlife in the country. Ugh. Yeah. So one one actually really fucking cool thing is there have been documented cases of boars not killing their own cubs. So they will normally kill cubs and, and a lot of them will still kill their own cubs, but there have been a couple cases where boars that in the past have been, you know, killing cubs and things like that will not kill their own cubs. And nobody really knows why or how they can tell it's even their cub. It's like somehow they know a year or two or three years later. Oh, right. Because I'm thinking like, you know, they're young and for some reason I have this picture of like all of them hanging out together, but it really is kind of just the mom raising them at that point, And especially like a few years later. The boars play no role in anything except sperm donors. <laughs> I mean, I will say this though. It, they like, they will court the sow for a few days or a week or two weeks before they actually mate. And it's actually really cute. I've seen it in real life um, in Denali. I haven't seen it down here, um, but they will like play with each other they'll roll around they'll like play bite they'll be all like shy and like it's it's actually quite adorable Kill each other's children it sounds yeah. really adorable <laughs> it um little movie little dinner little murder <laughs> okay this is one of my favorite facts about bears and i you've heard me say it probably a million times already but they they have a mechanism called delayed implantation so as we know, um, bears kind of sleep through the winter. It's, it's not a true hibernation like we talked about last week, but you know, they are sleeping the majority of the time. 
they actually give birth during hibernation, usually end of January, beginning of February while they're hibernating. So they'll wake up a little bit, give birth, and then the cubs just like sleep and eat and sleep and eat. And that's, that's kind of all they do until they come out of the den, um, usually in May for a sow with cubs, but they will breed in June. And then the fertilized eggs will just kind of bounce around until about November. And what happens is if they have enough body fat to sustain themselves and the cubs throughout winter, then those eggs will attach and start multiplying and turn into baby cubs. That's amazing. Uh, if they don't have enough body fat, they will basically have a miscarriage. And it's it's not quite known how their, how their body knows. Um, it's hypothesized that it's some kind of hormone that gets turned on or turned off. And so, like I said, they will give birth usually end of January, beginning of February, and they will stay with the sow for about two and a half years. So they'll have two full summers with her and then she'll usually kick them out late May, early June, when they're about two and a half, and then she'll breed uh, with a boar. There is a grizzly in Yellowstone who consistently keeps her cubs until they're three and a half, and it's just the cutest thing. I actually did, how big are um, those cubs when they do get, you know, kind of turned out, to, you know, on their own, like size-wise? First of all, I just want to say when they're born, they're only one pound. Oh my God. By the time they go off on their own, they're anywhere from about 150 to 300 pounds. That would be a really big one, a 300 pounder. Um, but that, you know, some of them can be that big, but it's probably going to be about 150 to 200 ish um, when they go off on their own. Well, you can kind of tell too that they're not quite mature yet. Um, the way that their head is shaped and things like that, it's it's not quite what a fully grown adult. Not a full dish. Yeah, not a full dish. So one of the big things I want to make sure that we touch on today are threats to grizzly bears because there there's a lot of threats um, and. We warned y'all last episode that a lot of that the recurring theme with a lot of these issues with wildlife are humans and climate change and grizzlies are no different. So they're currently grizzly bears in the lower 48 are on the endangered species list, but that's going up for review. Um, really soon. And this, all the states around here have plans for when slash if they get taken off the list. And those plans involve a shitload of hunting, no. um, just like they've done with wolves. So what it's so fucking dumb. So what ends up happening is they go off, they go off the endangered species list, they get hunted way down, they go back on the endangered species list, their numbers raise, then they go off and they get hunted way down. And it just, it just happened. It's just like this shitty cycle where nobody's happy and 
we're, you know, we're not seeing consistency because a lot of these state, you know, lawmakers and stuff are, yeah, are funded by people who hate predators. And that's always been really confusing to me for a lot of reasons, because bears and wolves are not killing the same kind, the same age or sex that Mm -hmm. hunters are shooting. So there's no competition there. Um, And there's been, there was a 40 year long study in Alaska about uh, grizzly bears and wolves impacting moose hunting numbers. And over the last 40 damn years, they have not impacted moose hunting numbers at all. And that was found down here as well with elk. So there's there, they get such a bad rap, but they're so beneficial for the landscape. Um, so grizzlies in particular, they actually kind of rototill the land when they're digging for stuff. That's adorable. Right. They have, they increase glacier lilies, um, because they're spreading them around and glacier lilies like really, um, really loose soil and stuff like that. Uh, They help spread berries and actually tree growth because they're eating these seeds and these nuts and these berries and then they're pooping them out, right? That's one mechanism of vegetation is to, you know, have their seeds transferred via animals eating them. Um, They help control populations of ground squirrels, marmots, coyotes, even wolves, like bears, are very important for a lot of different reasons between 1975 when they were first added to the endangered species list and now they've been delisted and relisted seven times like it's just it's just going back and forth it's it's a waste of so much time and effort and money well also if, if humans could not if they could just hold off and not um immediately want to kill anything that's not endangered and some things that are endangered if we could just maybe be happy that the animals aren't at at risk of extinction and just let them live (laughs) that would be cool (laughs) i mean that's coming from a a very like you know i i definitely have like a different view of like hunting but you are not killing a bear to you know feed your family or anything like that um I don't understand this need to just murder something beautiful. Rant over. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. And I want to make it known that I am I am pro-ethical hunting. I am not against hunting. Um, you know, growing up where I grew up, around the cultures I grew up around, uh, there is a lot of subsistence style. There is a lot of, you know, honoring the animals, using every single part, things like that. And I do honestly think that hunting, if you're going to have meat, hunting for it is better for everyone and everything involved than buying it at the grocery store. That's the worst way you can get your meat is the the damn grocery store. But that being said... You know, to your point, that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. we just have to go out and shoot stuff just to shoot it. And I am not against hunting uh, for the most part. I am against certain types of hunting in, you know, certain situations. But 
I am not against hunting. I try to ride this line in between predators and humans to where, yeah, unfortunately we live in a human world and there's times when there's going to be wildlife that have to be put down for one reason or another, or, you know, if, if it makes sense ecologically to reduce predator populations, then yes, uh, I'm not against hunting them. Um, so I, I just want to make that super clear that I'm not, I'm not against hunting even predators. I am against like in Alaska, you can um, like shoot animals out of a plane or a helicopter. I think bear baiting is a joke. Like how is any of that stuff sporting sportingly mm -hmm. hunting? Like that kind of stuff just straight up pisses me off. And I think it's, it's a total cop out but I'm definitely not anti-hunter. I'm just anti-asshole <laughs> is what it is. I think we all should be, you know, it, unless and with stuff like that, that like you said, is just completely non-sporting. Unless you're okay with a bear putting on like a camo suit and a little trucker hat and getting in a helicopter and shooting you with a rifle, and, unless you're okay with that, you can't, you shouldn't possibly be okay with the inverse happening. It's just, it's just plain wrong. Yeah. And, you know, there's no doubt that grizzly bears injure humans from time to time. Uh, we're going to have a whole episode on that. Uh, and we will definitely see a lot of trends in those situations where people are attacked by grizzly bears. And like I said a few minutes ago, there are times when it makes sense to kill an animal. And I, I don't want to say euthanize or like put down. And one was, it just happened a few days ago, actually, a grizzly bear in West Yellowstone broke into a house with its cub and stole dog food. Like it, it, it broke in through the window, smashed in through the window while the people were home. Ooh. Now this bear, this bear was involved in an attack in 2020 uh in island park idaho and that was a defensive situation so they let her do whatever the guy ended up being okay and stuff like that um and then she was the one who killed a hiker earlier this year or a trail runner earlier this year in west yellowstone that was also considered defensive because the person kind of was running came around the corner didn't have bear spray wasn't you know yeah scared the bear and her cub and because bears are so much bigger, they have those big claws, those big muscles, even when they're just trying to neutralize the threat, you know, we're tiny and fragile and even something very slight in terms of energy expenditure to a grizzly bear is oftentimes enough to actually kill us. But they tried to catch her after that and they couldn't catch her and they didn't, they didn't feed on the, the trail runner's body or anything. So they decided okay, that was a defensive situation. We're going to let her do her thing. But when a bear is breaking into a house, that tells me this bear has gotten food conditioned by humans. And that can be dog food left out, bird seed, animal feed, your trash isn't uh, isn't in any kind of bear proof or secure location. Um, and this year there's been a big push in Island Park to have that happen. The sheriff just announced they would have a plan by the spring um, because, you know, there's just 
all these bears are getting put down and it seems a long overdue very long overdue and it is possible to live in grizzly bear country and not have these conflicts so i i agree with their decision to put her down um and they the cub is actually going to a wildlife park in oregon um so i i do agree with that situation um in this case but i am disappointed and saddened that it was humans that are the ultimate reason for that yeah like it i mean with that that seems like the i guess the only result at this point right but yeah it it seems like something that should have and could have been preventable yeah and it's not it's not that hard it's not that expensive and you know unfortunately a lot of people don't care how many bears have to die they only start caring when they're impacted right and and those homeowners i do want to say this from everything that i've read and seen they were not the ones doing anything wrong so i just want to say that um they had their stuff inside you know they didn't have food all over the place uh at this time it seemed you know it seemed like they they had everything secured uh, but bears have a great sense of smell they can smell up to 15 miles if there's no wind and so you know i'm not i'm not blaming it on those homeowners at all um because like i said everything i've read about this situation indicates they were doing the right thing but other humans throughout this bear's life or maybe even recently are the reason why this bear even knows or associates a cabin with a place to get fed Mm -hmm. um and that you know there's a saying a fed bear is a dead bear and and this is why but food and trash storage knowing bear body language um and being safe when we're outdoors these are all ways we can mitigate these encounters i think bears live a lot closer to humans than we realize they do and it's very possible to be able to do that in a safe way absolutely and and one thing that is increasing these human conflicts is habitat loss because habitat loss means food source loss and wildland corridor loss so they're going to be bumping up more with humans they're going to you know we are just literally invading their space all the time and so we we're making it very hard for them to be wild and it it's really sad that that that's where we're at but like with climate change for example and the white bark pine the white bark pine was added to the endangered species list last year because their their nuts are a huge food source for a lot of birds and a shitload of mammals including grizzlies and they are dying at an alarming rate um about 80 percent of the white bark pines here in the gye have died or are dying so one and one huge reason is the the pine the mountain pine beetle they used to only reproduce every couple years and they would die off in the winter but now that it's not as cold they're not dying off in the winter and they're reproducing every year and they are just decimating these pine trees that's terrible another another threat to grizzlies is other predator loss so there was only a couple dozen in this area there's only about 200 um in the whole lower 48 but there was only a couple dozen left in this area when they got added to the endangered species list now there's about a thousand in this larger ecosystem 
So, um, you know, they are considered that poster child of recovery. But one reason why is because they're taking those wolf kills like we talked about before, right? Um, So not only are they getting food directly from these other predators, but with wolves specifically, wolves help keep these ungulate populations in check. So elk, um, elk, moose, deer, that kind of thing. And when they do that, it enables other species like beaver, trout, and even moose in certain areas to rebound. So bears have, you know, not only do they have that that option of taking a wolf kill, but there's literally more fish, more moose, and more beaver in this area because a huge reason is because of wolves. They're not the only reason, but a huge reason is is because of them lowering these big elk herd numbers. I feel like it's a lesson that humans kind of repeatedly learn, but don't don't actually don't actually take into account. And I think we see that just in you know you could take like a lake ecosystem or something like the you know Greater Yellowstone ecosystem, where we go in and either overfish or overhunt or just decimate the population of you know, some certain living thing, and then it affects the entire ecosystem and the entire food chain. And then we try to go in and fix that somehow, Um, you know, and and sometimes that's successful, like protecting a certain population. Sometimes it's more devastating, like stocking a lake with, you know, non-native fish that just fuck it up. But I, I feel like the lesson should be really that nature is really amazing. And when we go in and just completely um, you know, cause these imbalances, um, it it does not go well. (laughs) But humans don't seem to learn from the past very well. The good thing is there's a lot of eyes on grizzly bears. Um, There's a certain area where there's really high populations of these predators and a lot of ranchers and there's a certain area where these ranchers uh, generations and generations of of ranchers have learned the predators like cycles they've learned their feeding cycles yeah um kind of where they go certain times a year for what like we said last week they kind of follow where the food is and so what these ranchers have done is they they have this association and and it's it's ranchers it's locals it's some federal and you know state and local um wildlife agencies and they have figured out a way to successfully have these ranches in these areas and not have to kill any animals for like with depredation tags. So what that is, is if you have like a wolf or a grizzly coming in and killing your livestock, you can get basically a license to kill them. And, and you know, that, and it, it does happen, right? Uh, any reasonable person isn't going to say that they don't, they don't every now and then kill livestock. Uh, but in, in this specific area, these ranchers have learned how to have their herds where, when to avoid these animals. Sometimes you'll see nine, 10, 11 grizzlies on a ranch, like 
on an actual ranch digging for these roots and stuff that grow a certain time of year. But because the ranchers have figured this out, they're working with nature. Uh, the animals aren't in those specific areas at that time. They're animals. No, that's fascinating. I really hope that we see more more improvements um, in those strategies to deconflict and just avoid, uh, yeah, avoid those issues. There's plenty of people who don't want to listen to the wildlife people and don't want to listen to the ranchers. And I think if we want to get anything meaningful done, we have to listen to both and realize ranchers are, you know, a huge part of these areas and a, a very important part of these areas. So are wildlife watchers. I just saw a report came out for last year that people who came to Yellowstone specifically to watch wildlife invested about $600 million in the uh, gateway communities just by coming to watch animals. So they're both very important. And I think if we can acknowledge the bad and the good and come up with these solutions like that association has done, um, you know, that's, that's the way forward. And I really, I really hope that that is something that happens as, as organizations like the greater Yellowstone coalition, they do a lot of that stuff with ranchers and farmers, um, and a lot of that outreach. And so does vital ground. And so to, you know, there's a million of them around here, uh, that do things like that, but yeah, sorry, I went on a little, little tangent there, but you know, there's going to be losses, uh, whether it's, wildlife, uh, livestock, humans, pets, um, you know, part of living in these areas and, and having ranches in these areas is, is that possibility cost of doing business. And I think it's very humbling, right? When I go out and I'm hiking or whatever, I have this appreciation and I have this respect for the creatures that I see and you know, I'm not afraid of grizzly bears, but I, I know what they can do and I respect them. Yeah, absolutely. Respecting the damage that could happen if you <laughs> were to surprise one. Or... Right. And accepting it, accepting it as well, um, that it can happen. Um, I was watching this thing about bear attacks and this lady had been attacked on the Slough Creek Trail in Yellowstone. And as the helicopter, like, as the life flight um, landed and they were loading her up into it, she just kept shouting, don't hurt the bear. Don't hurt the bear because she, and she and Rangers were all around and she was shouting that to the Rangers uh, because, you know, she realizes the bear wasn't, you know, it, it was just being a bear and she surprised it with its cubs. Um, and it did, it did what bears do. And she didn't want the bear to pay the price. It's admirable. It's at, it's very admirable. I love it though. I remember you telling that story and I think it's beautiful. It, yeah, it's bittersweet and beautiful. Okay, so um, one of our friends have, has sent me a meme that she wants me to talk about, but I think what we're gonna do, I think what we're gonna do, cause we've been getting a lot of questions and different kind of comments of extra stuff um that that people want to know so i think here soon we might 
drop some little Q&A mini episodes. That sounds great. Can I attempt to answer it before you actually give the real answer? <laughs> we'll see how close I am. Oh, yeah. That would be even better. <laughs> we got a comment from someone wanting us to swear more. In my normal conversation, it's like every other word. But <laughs> I don't know why it's not happening as much on the show. I don't know. So I guess my point with, with all of this stuff with grizzly bears is that they are very valuable to, to the ecosystem and there are ways to peacefully coexist. Bears are fucking awesome. They're so smart. They're so cute. They are, when you see a bear in the wild in real life, something just kind of happens. I don't know. It, it, it just, it hits different. Um, when my mom was in town earlier this year, we went to the Tetons and we saw a pretty famous bear, um, 610 and her cubs. And my mom literally started crying because it was just so meaningful. And my mom lives in the middle of Alaska. Your mom is adorable. Can I just have that on the record? Your mom is so sweet. I love her so much. She goes to Denali Park all the time. Like she's seen a ton of grizzly bears, but we saw this specific one and her three cubs and act pretty close actually, um, safe, but close. And they were out in like a meadow. So we got, we got to watch them for a while mm -hmm. and stuff. And she, it, it's just, there's just something, I don't know. It just, you feel a bit honored when mm -hmm. you can. Oh, absolutely. See yeah. I mean, you're life. one of few people that have been able to see that you know, that specific scenario too. Okay. So enough of the heavy shit. Um, what is, what is your favorite thing about bears or what do you think is the coolest thing about bears? I didn't even say all the cool shit. I'm saving, I am saving back. facts <laughs> for our bear facts. So there's other really cool shit about grizzlies that I'm purposely saving for bear facts. So I would say um, of the things that we went over today, oh gosh, I, I feel like them spending time together in those, you know, kind of more rare moments where they, um, you know, spend time with, uh, what did you call them? Subadults. Uh, the gap year. Subadults. Yeah. yeah. But it's not just subadults. <laughs> um, that was, that was the scenario earlier this year uh, with the male. But also like the past cubs, you know, that's just so sweet. And I love that. That made me, it just made my heart happy. Uh, I know you hate bears, but what's your favorite thing about grizzly bears? I think they're so special, but I will, I'll pick one. Uh, I think the delayed implantation and the fact that like, if they don't have enough body fat to support themselves and the cubs over the winter, then then they'll miscarry. So I, I think just that mechanism in general is so badass of a, the eggs just hanging around for, you know, five months and then how their bodies just know that how their bodies know that they have those body fat percentages. So I think that that's probably my favorite one. Yeah, that is yeah. a really good one. I could literally talk about grizzlies for just hours and hours and hours. That is just a, a short little recap um, through some of the other episodes that we do. We will be talking obviously more about grizzlies and brown bears and a lot of different aspects. 
Um, next week's episode, here's a little teaser, is not a bear episode. So look forward to the first non-Ursine episode. Subscribe, like, rate, review, all that sort of stuff. Share things, tell a friend. Thank you, Christian Mills, for our wonderful music and Acast for hosting. And you can find us on the socials, just Bears and Brews Podcast. Or you can email us, bearsandbrewspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much.